so true story here. We're, uh, we're up in the UP yesterday. My oldest daughter, Reagan, is a senior in high school. Some of you have been down this path. We're doing the college searches and the applications, and she's looking at uh, uh, northern Michigan, which is up in Marquette. I think it has something to do with 200 inches of snow a year that, that attracts her. And so we're up in the UP yesterday checking out this school, and of course we're staying at the hotel over the night, and my youngest daughter, Riley, comes out, and she's wearing one of those FOF hoodies, you know, the ones that, you know, like the maroon with the big, like, FOF logo on it? Someone she doesn't know at all kind of is, like, looking at her over at the table, and finally goes when Tina shows up, I I feel really stupid asking you this, but is that, like, a church logo? And they're like, uh, yeah, it's our church fellowship of faith. And they're like, oh my gosh, fellowship of faith, fellowship of faith. I know, fellowship of faith. So apparently somehow we've made inbreakings into the UP. Um, but needless to say, those of you who are like, yeah, right? So those of you who are like kind of sporting the wear, just kind of keep it up and start going international with it. Um, you know, in the spirit of it, who doesn't have an FOF shirt here today? All right, there you go. <laughs> Wear it loud and proud, and if it isn't the right size, just go swap it out with one after the service. So, uh, yeah, that was just kind of like, yeah, is that shirt right there, that sweatshirt right there, right, that she was wearing. Guys, good to see you today. Listen, all this year we've been looking at this, this how-to kind of principle to Christianity, trying to just break things down to nuts and bolts, getting really practical with what it means to follow Jesus, or better, how to follow Jesus, and how to live out our, our, our faith in him. And what we've been doing these past couple of weeks is couching it in this thing called hevel, chasing Hevel. Now, Hevel is a word that comes out of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and it often gets translated like meaningless or, or vanity, but, but the concept, the conceptual field behind it is something more like vapor or, or smoke, and it's the idea of how we often chase after things that we invest with such permanency, but that are fleeting, fleeting like vapor or smoke, and often find ourselves guilty of trading the things that are of lasting permanency that God seeks to draw us to for these things that are just, you know, here today and gone tomorrow instead, which leads us to a a, a way of chasing hevel today. Uh, Parents, specifically, I want to talk to you today, because what I want to do is share with you how you can go about making your kid an atheist. Now, I'm going to lead off with an assumption here that you're here because, well, in some way, God is important to you. And by extension, you also want him to be important to your kids, No, I realize this is an assumption I'm making that quite honestly isn't universally true in this room. I I realize there's some of us who are gathered here today who who might not believe this. Um, Or, or, just kind of put it bluntly, you don't really care. You you, you know? And, And all I can say is, I am so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. I don't know if you got dragged by a spouse. I don't know if it's just a time of life where, 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 where you're looking for something or some kind of connection. I don't know if you're trying to meet women. Um, you know, whatever the motivation, um, sincerely, 
I'm so glad you're here because this has always been a church where we don't want to segregate ourselves between believer, non-believer, theist, atheist, but we've always been a church that's wanted to be a bridge to those who, who might not believe this or be struggling with this or, or have deep questions or aversions to this thing we call Christianity, but, but maybe are open to it or curious to it. And I just want to let you know that, that we're so glad you're here. Now, I also know that there is a good cross-section of us in this room who simply uh, aren't parents. And so when the topic becomes how to make your kid an atheist, kind of like the, the, the knee-jerk response is probably like, who cares, right? And, and all I can say to you is, if we're going to be a church that honestly tries to help people with real concerns and issues that they're facing. Sometimes we have to tailor what we're talking about to a specific group of people because everything can't be one size fits all. And, and more than that, I, I would just encourage and challenge you that if, if you're coming here solely with the mindset of what's in this for me, self-check that. And dare to step away from that just for a little bit to go, sometimes I have to sacrifice what's in it for me, for the better of other people. Because if we don't do that, what kind of a stupid church have we become? Right? Not to mention, I think we'll find ourselves guilty of many of the things that turn off our kids from Christianity. Now, just a couple more disclaimers before we jump in. All of us, at some point, are going to stand before God. All of us are accountable for our actions and will have to answer to him. And the good news is that, kids, you don't have to answer before God for your parents. And parents, you don't have to answer before God for your kids. All of us will stand before God and answer for ourselves. However, parents, if I can simply add this, you will have to answer for how you've impacted and influenced your kids. What they do is up to them, but what you build into them, well, that, that you will stand before God with someday. And I know that's a suck deal. Um, I don't know, all I could say is, well, you chose to have them. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I think of these words from Jesus, and, and, and as a parent of, of three, they're, they're sobering to me. Do you remember this, this, this line out of the Gospels where he kind of says, it would be better for someone to have a millstone tied around their neck and for them to be thrown into the sea than to lead one of my little ones astray? And I understand the context. I understand by little ones, Jesus is referring to anyone who follows him and calls on his name. But how much more when the people who are, who are following him and calling him on, on, on his name are actually little ones and are actually our kids in whom we have the most impact and 
influence. Finally, I just want to say this. Let's kind of get clear what we're talking about here today. Because when we talk about making your kids an atheist, what I'm not talking about is belief in God. See, see, my bet is that most of us at any time could probably go up to our kids, I don't care how old they are, right? And ask, do you believe in God? And the reality is they, they, they more often than not will probably answer, answer, yeah, sure. And then you as a parent feel all good about that because you're like, oh, okay, they believe, they believe, it's okay, but I'm telling you, it's a false hope. Because even the demons believe in God and shudder. Now, what I'm talking about here today is what the New Testament says faith actually is. Things like devotion, love, allegiance. Your kids may believe in God, but where is their heart in relationship with him? That's what we're talking about today. Are you with me on this? So now that all the proper disclaimers have been put out there. Let's jump in. How to make your kid an atheist. Here's number one. Let them make up their own mind. It kind of goes like this. I'm going to let my kid come to their own conclusions. I'm going to let them believe Whatever they want. And it sounds so like noble and enlightened and gracious. Doesn't it? But do you actually believe that what Jesus says is true? And if you think it is true, and this is how reality works, and what reality actually happens to be, and if the stakes are truly as high as Jesus claims them to be? How as parents can we take the most important thing in the world and treat it as arbitrary? Now, at some point, your kids are going to believe what they want to believe anyway. And parents, you do need to accept that. Some of you, I know, are struggling to, and you need to accept that. What I'm simply suggesting is that if you treat God as an opinion, your kids will grow up thinking of God as nothing more than an opinion too. Let me ask you, when it comes to the other important things of life, things like, well, do I do drugs? Just going to let your kids decide on that one on their own. Like, you know, you just, you just believe what you want to believe. You want to take drugs, that's fine. You don't want to take drugs, that's fine. You'd be like, no, that's ridiculous, right? It's, ri- it's ridiculous because you know the terrible effect that can come about if they start flirting with something, taking something, engaging in something, or embracing something. How much more true when it comes to God? Now, I know there's some of you in this room today who had God shoved down your throat 
Your parents brought you up in such a way where God was something that was crammed down your throat, forced into you. You were just like nagged and harangued and kind of like beaten into submission. Hopefully not physically, but certainly maybe verbally or emotionally. And you have this kind of posture now where you're like, I am never going to do that to my kid. God bless you for that. Can I just applaud you for that? And we'll get to that in a minute. Again, all I'm meaning to suggest here today is that if you treat God as an elective, an opinion, a choice that's just easy to make, like your favorite color or what kind of car to drive. Your children will grow up approaching that mindset with God too. No, God has given you a, a sacred duty, parents, to reveal the reality of who he is and instill it in them. And as Proverbs would say, train them in the way they should go. Here's number two. Keep Sunday optional. Approach your day of worship I don't care if it's Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday or Friday at 3 a.m. You, you know, what, Sunday's a placeholder. You know what I mean? But whatever that weekly intentional point of contact with God happens to be, whenever it happens to fall, keep it optional. When the sporting event comes up, or more importantly, the season, let it be optional. When you're vacationing because you got that cool summer home and you don't find anywhere else to go, keep it optional. When you work, it's a hard reality for so many of you. And you're like, well, I'm tied up Sunday morning. Keep, keep it optional. Keep it optional. Your kids will too. They'll grow up realizing simply that God is optional. God is not someone who demands our allegiance. God is not someone who is worthy of greater honor. He is simply something that I can take or discard at my whim as it is convenient to me. Guys, I've seen this. I've seen this with so many parents who feel victimized by their schedules, trying to fit everything else in. And Sunday always takes that, that last priority place that can come or go as it lifts in. And they wonder why as their kids grow up, they treat God the same way too. Nothing will bring your kids closer to lack of devotion, love, and obedience to God than when you treat him as simply an elective to take at my whim. Let me share another. How about this? 
Don't bring it home. Keep God safely in these four walls. Tuck him in nicely and don't let him interfere with the rest of life or have a place at home. Don't, don't pray with him. Don't talk about God at home. Don't talk to your kids about God at home. Don't treat him as though he is a part of the family. Don't seek him together when you face hard decisions. Don't, don't, don't approach him as someone that you look forward to spending time with. Don't simply spend time with him. Keep him tucked here and God will stay safely tucked in heaven for your kids, relegated to an idea that they might view as true, but something no more personal than a math equation. Want to make your kid an atheist? Make sure God isn't real. Keep him here. There's this. Practice hypocrisy. Claim all kinds of amazing things about God, but really don't kind of come to terms with it yourself. Insist on things in the way of the Lord with your kids, but don't model them yourselves. Have you ever noticed how like hypocrite is like the, 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 the biggest word to judge Christians with and slam Christians with today? Maybe bigot. Is, is the one that comes alongside of it. Have you had those people in your own life who practiced a hypocritical form of Christianity? And if so, can you remember what kind of just deep, what kind of a deep turnoff it is? Your kids worship you. You don't think they do. But they do. It's the sad fate of reality. That as much as we swear we'll never become like our parents, we do. And when your kids are younger, they look up to you, but I promise you the day is going to come in their life when they are going to start to see right through you. And the sad deal is that people judge God by the way they see us. People will judge Christ by the way they see you. Parents, what kind of picture and way of life do you want to model for your kids? Which leads to this. Downplay repentance and humility. Parents always insist on being right. Never say you're sorry. Never admit you're wrong. When you're called out and it's by your kids and it's true, don't own it. Make sure that you posture yourself as though you know it all and treat God like a technical manual that you've mastered as opposed to a relationship that you happen to be growing in. Do that and they'll start to see God and your faith that way too. 
They'll start to see God as someone who, who, for whom there is, is no room for mistake, no honesty about him, no openness to question or struggle. Have you ever wanted to have a relationship with someone like that? No, 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 keep the tenderness of heart that marks the heart of God far from your life and far from your interaction with your kids. Pave the way for them in this way. How about this? Trade kindness, gentleness, patience, and joy for austere authoritarian harshness cloaked in the name of righteousness, holiness, and the will of God. Just do it. Trade all that's tender about God and the joy that God is supposed to bring for severity that's cloaked in his name. Have you ever known someone who was kind of like brought up in one of these Christian homes? And when I say Christian home, it makes you go, ooh. You, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm speaking to you today where God is the stern judge angry, not wanting to be bothered, and just hoping, hoping to strike someone down, watching to keep his perfect machine in perfect unity, quick to strike when anything deviates. Live with that spirit and watch your kids run away. I think of what Paul has to say. He talks about this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, which the way of God really is, what's really true to the heart of God. And listen to the things he kinds of mentions. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do everything in your power to replace that with the list of rules that define for you what a relationship with God is. It's striking to me that in that list of nine, there's nothing about rules even there. Paul will even go so far to say, against such things there is no law. I'm not advocating by any means that there isn't a place to call things right and wrong in the name of God or in God's name. I'm not advocating by any means that as we train and discipline ourselves and our kids that there isn't a place for boundaries and rules. What I'm simply saying is if you replace the spirit of God with rules about him, you will drive your children away. Here's one. Staying educated. Mom and dad just staying educated. See, when your kids are young, they tend to accept more blindly what you have to say. But as they start to grow, they start to have questions. Have you noticed this? And it might frustrate you, but they're often good ones. 
Because as they're exposed to a greater world and, and, and a variety of perspectives and other ways that people look at things, they start to try to figure out what's real, what's true, and how does this relate with this Christian faith. And if you, in the words of Peter, are not prepared to give an answer for the hope you have, your kids will come to that point and day where they view you as a simpleton. Worshiping God, who is a fairy tale, who has no basis in what's actual reality. No, stay uneducated. Let the questions go unanswered in your mind. Don't seek them out. Don't, don't, don't pursue lines of thought. Don't, don't seek to better yourself in your understanding of who God is. Keep all that safely at bay. And watch your kids grow and run other ways. Now this last one is going to sting. Marry someone who's not a believer. I'm not looking to kick you in the teeth here. We just need to come to terms with reality. Marry or live with someone who's not a believer. Or, or maybe better put, someone who isn't devoted to Christ or, or just doesn't practice it or care, odds are your kids will too. And the reason why is it's just easier. Dad's not going to throw you under the bus on this one because it often happens this way, at least in my experience, where mom tends to be the devoted one, dad isn't. I know that's not true. In every case, let's just go with it here for the sake of argument. Christianity has always been a religion that seems to have attracted females more than males. I think it has something to do with the equality that it offers and, and the empowerment it often gives to those who are, who are brought low in society. But nonetheless, when dad's sleeping in, it's easier to sleep in. Why can't I stay with him? When dad's watching football, why can't I stay home and watch football? It's kind of more fun to be with him. When dad's getting stuff done or going on the boat or getting the chores done so he's got the rest of the day open, why can't I do it with him? It's not a guarantee. It's just kind of a trend that I and a lot of other people have seen. 80% of the time, your kids are going to follow the path of least resistance in the home. Now, if you're married to someone who's in this case, I'm certainly not advocating that you, like, divorce, all right? No, no, you, you, you've got to love and honor that man and model what it means to be the spirit and light of Christ to those who might not think the same way as you, believe the same way as you practice the same way as you, and you've got to let that shine bright and true. Nor am I suggesting that you get in this pattern of, of haranguing and nagging and exasperating your spouse because of this. No, what I'm simply saying is if I'm speaking to you today, you've got to double down. It just means that for you as the sole parents, you are going to have to double down all the more to make sure that what you have come to see and what God has shown you 
to set the tone in your child's life as they see it in your own as something preferable by far and as the better way loaded with love and compassion and intimacy still for the other spouse who isn't going that way. Now, these are just a few. This list was not meant to be comprehensive. There's so many other things we could say, these are just ones that I have seen come to the top again and again and again that often lead to kids falling away. Proverbs will say this, chapter 22, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. It sounds great, but it's just not always true. I've met many parents who have raised up their children in the way they should go, and they have departed from it. It's a proverb, which means it's a rule of thumb, not an ironclad promise that God swears will be true. I realize there's exceptions to the things that I've said today. Parents, there's some of you here who have sought to nurture your children and bring them up in the Lord, and they have gone a different way. Parents, I realize there's some of you who have been complete leches towards your kids and they've grown up to be people of integrity who call on the name of the Lord. There are exceptions, but what I'm sharing with you today is simply ways to up the odds. Just a list of ways I've seen that up the odds of making your kid an atheist. I want to say this one more time. My purpose here today, mom and dad, is not to kick you in the teeth. It's simply to come to terms with reality. Because your kids are important to you. And I believe this. God has given you a sacred task, and I don't use that word lightly. God has given you a sacred task of nurturing, guiding, forming, and leading your kids. And for those of you here who aren't parents, you know, God's given you a sacred task too. The sacred task of also being his witness just like parents are to their kids. A sacred task of responsibly handling how people will view God by the way they see you. And so my hope simply is that all of us take that sacred task Seriously, and realize it isn't just a game. That all of us hold something precious in our hands and have a ripple effect to people that are so precious 
to God and to go into that so utterly aware and intentional to be the kind of witness God wants us to be, be it to your kids or whoever else comes into the impact zone of your life. Anything less, I think, is chasing hevel. There's a, a final passage I'm going to show you from Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at it through this series. It's how that hevel writer concludes. Fear God and keep his commands, he says, for this is the whole duty of man. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You know, it's funny. My, my hope with a talk like today is not that we're like walking out of here going, man, rock that one. I got that one down. Nothing to worry about there. No, I hope it's the opposite reaction instead that each of us in some kind of way finds ourselves coming face to face with the ways we're leading people sometimes the most precious people to us astray and if you find yourself in that place today the Bible resonates with this message that echoes that it doesn't have to remain that way. But we can turn to God. Confess what needs to be confessed. Practice repentance in humility. Start anew. Start doing it different today. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. As they get set, I want to invite you to rise. And to prepare for this today. If you're a parent, do this with your kids. Think of your kids. If you're not a parent, other people that are important to your life, just take a moment right now. Let's kind of put ourselves in a prayer posture. I'll invite you to just kind of bow your head, close your eyes, kind of get in the zone. Think of one or two or maybe three things that came across today that bit you, that stung you. Kind of prick the conscience there a little bit, going, Lord, I think I'm doing that today. These next couple minutes, just talk to God about it. Don't try to rationalize it. Make excuse. Just confess it to God and say you're sorry. Ask his protection for those that maybe you impacted poorly. And ask him to help you find another way. Let's pray.
most merciful God. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. In his mercy, God has given his son to die for you because God loves you. He loves you despite, not because. He says to you today, whatever pain, regret, fear of consequence you bring here today, I want you to know that you are forgiven. I love you. So come follow me. Come follow me today into a different way.